Welcome to the Dare to Move podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and I'm not your life coach, just a girl who never gives up. Hey guys, what is up? I am so excited today for you guys to hear all about kind of the innovation that has come into the fitness space. Obviously, you guys know that I work with Move With, which is an audio fitness app, and there are so many ways to connect with trainers online today that in my opinion, from my perspective in the industry, it's actually kind of hard to know what one to go with, right? And so today we're going to get a really awesome perspective from CEO and founder of Train With Me, the app. And they're located in Boston, which is super cool. So I actually got to meet with Evan in person. And what I love about Train With Me is they have kind of developed themselves into this beast of an app in like two seconds. <laughs> they, you're going to learn how and why they've done that and why the app is so thorough. But before that, you have to know that Train With Me is interested in integrating with any apps that are fitness related that are interested in them. So this is kind of a little plug for Train With Me. If you are in the fitness app space, um, move with or not move with me. Uh, Train With Me is actually working on integration. So if someone has a food app or a fitness website or even a podcast like I do, whatever it is, they are advanced enough to integrate with you. So you know you might see the Dare to Move podcast on the Train With Me app someday. Fingers crossed, you never know. Um, But I want you guys to know that because it kind of sets the tone for today's episode in how kind of all-encompassing Evan is and how his background led him to be where he is today as a CEO of Train With Me and his interesting background as a computer scientist. He has a lot of similarities to some of the guests I've had on before. So if you figure out what one I'm talking about... DM me and I will give you a prize. Anyway, without further ado, we have Evan Witt and I am so excited for you to hear this. So let's get right on into it. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. I am sitting in an awesome, cool office with Evan Witt. And Evan, how are you? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm good. This is Evan's first podcast, you guys. So we feel very lucky to have him. Oh, I'm nervous. (laughs) Don't be nervous. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, So if you um, have listened to to a couple episodes, sometimes we like to start with a quote and spoiler alert, today's quote is about technology. So the quote is, you never change things by fighting existing reality. You, to change something, you have to build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. You know, I think in technology that I think that that's an interesting quote because I do think that you have to build new models and completely reinvent things to make change. But on a different hand, uh, you also have to work with what's there. And there's a pre-existing situation for anybody. Like, So uh, one of my favorite examples, uh, actually from business school, I went to MIT Sloan. They talked about how when the technology came into existence to make electronic sewing machines or electric sewing machines, everybody thought, you know, we can completely reshape the sewing machine. And and they made sewing machines that looked like microphones and they made, you know, all these different shapes. But the sewing machines that worked were the ones that looked just like the old-fashioned ones with a pedal because people are familiar with that. Mm. 
So I think there's a lot of reinventing, but there's a lot of figuring out what people are used to and figuring out how to bridge the gap from the past to the future. That's a really good example and um, interpretation and what it kind of made me think of too, which maybe the listeners will relate. The first time I used a Mac, I was so confused mm-hmm. because it was unlike any any way I had interacted with a computer before. Now, obviously, it's all I use and all I know, but yeah. I think that's kind of um, one of those switches that if, if people don't, some people to this day will say, I'm not a Mac person. Yeah. And I think I've switched from PC to Mac uh, about probably four or five years ago. And I think that now if you make the switch, it's a lot simpler because they've, you know, Mac and PC realized that there's just one way that people are used to using computers. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it that way, they're probably not going to understand how to use your computer. Same thing with apps, you know, same thing with pretty much any technology products, you know, that people use today. Yeah. And speaking of apps, we're going to get into that today, which is very exciting, fitness apps. But before we get there, I usually ask the second question. You're sitting on a plane and someone asks you, what do you do? And I ask that because sometimes people don't identify themselves as maybe say their job title does. Yeah. If I'm on a plane and someone asks me that, I would say I'm a technology entrepreneur and that's what I think of myself as first. And then I would tell them about the company I'm working on, which is Train With Me. And we're creating a fitness and health technology that's trying to make it really easy for just ordinary people to get quality services and get healthier you know, without having to spend as much money or, you know, actually go places in person as much. We still think there's a combination of in-person training and online training, but uh, identify myself as a technology entrepreneur and computer scientist first. Excellent. And I really do want to break down technology entrepreneur later, simply because you have a very deep background in tech. But you're the CEO of a company. And so I'm not going to get there yet, but I do want to dig into which side came first as far as entrepreneurial and um, tech. But before we go there, it's funny, I Googled you and I found something I've never seen before, which was a JavaScript mentor page. It's probably, it was from forever ago. And there was a quote that you had written just about yourself for this page. And it said, I started coding JavaScript before it was popular in 2001 at SAP. I built a JS drive Gantt chart. Did I say that right? Uh, Gantt chart. Gantt chart. Close enough. And served other dynamic components and realized the power of JS very early. And I am very familiar with the term JavaScript. I'm not well-versed enough to understand how it works and what it does, but I want to know, you know, what got you so interested in technology and JavaScript and coding and all these things? Well, I've just always liked to do very few things and do them really well, get deep on them. So, you know, I know a lot about a small number of things and I know nothing about everything else. And um, so I was in undergrad, I studied computer science and I also did a degree in economics. Interesting. I decided, you know, to go into the computer science as far as work. And I think I just got just addicted to the coding. You know, you're pro- you're solving problems. Um, it's fun, and as you write code, you get to see things come to life. And I, I, you know, I think that what's amazing about computer science 
in software today is that like you can pretty much build almost anything you can imagine. And it's hard for people to understand how free they can be with their imagination or creativity and how many possibilities there are of things you can build. But I just found myself starting to code, just enjoying it, getting in a zone and building. And that was, you know, early in my career. And so JavaScript, I don't know if this is interesting to most of the people that would be listening to this podcast, but it's just a programming language. And I thought back early on before it was popular that it would become popular and I was doing things with it that I guess, you know, looked cutting edge. And actually at that job, I got, you know, as an inventor on three patents that were related to things that were built with JavaScript. So, you know, I don't know how exciting Java. Well, if you have any specific questions on JavaScript, you know, the website you found me on, I am supposed to be a mentor where you can purchase my services or what I've actually never really followed through with doing that. But, but yeah, so uh, anyone has questions for JavaScript? Yeah, send uh, them in. Yeah, we can do a follow up or something. I mean, I think, it sound when you describe going into that zone, it, it sounds kind of like a writer, you know, and when you yeah. get into flow and you're there and when you are doing any type of coding, do you feel like it, do you think in coding, does it feel like another language, like a, like a second language to you? Well, you know, uh, did you see the matrix with all the ones and zeros? Yes. That's how I see the world. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> I'm like, my brain can't go there. Uh, no, no. You know what? I I would say that I think in a very code-like way and that thinking about coding and algorithms affects just the way I even do tasks. So if I'm, you know, getting the dishes out of the dishwasher, I'll end up, you know, doing uh, – getting two plates with, you know, one hand for maximum efficiency or what yeah. – you know, just like whatever I'm doing, I always think about efficiency and – algorithm. So I would say it affects uh, pretty much the way I operate. Thought process. Yeah. Wow. And, and I, we um, had been connected through my friend and your friend, Billy, mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year. And I think you described yourself, and I'm going to butcher this, but you said you were more or less a tech athlete. Or how did you describe it? You know, that's that's interesting that you picked up on that. But um, yeah, I, d- I described myself and my company as we're technology athletes, and you know that's kind of the core of our differentiation. Cool. And so I understand that you know most people that listen to your podcast are probably athletes, and you're an athlete. And so growing up, I was you know a regular athlete. I was very I like to play sports and get competitive, and I actually didn't really program computers at all when I was a kid. Uh, my father didn't want me to have too much access to it because he didn't want me to become a nerd. But <laughs> oh uh, that I don't think that uh, technically people tell me I'm a nerd, so I guess it <laughs> didn't totally work. Um, but maybe I'm less of a nerd than I would be. But so, you know, I'd play tennis uh, and, you know, I'd get really into – uh, how I could change my grip to make the ball spin faster, hit the ball harder. And, and I, I, yeah, I just like, you know, think about everything and try to just get better and better. And I got very addictive about sports. And so when I think about my company and how we're different, I think that we're different because we're not coming up with just one idea that we think, oh, this is the, the key to life is a seven minute workout or the key to life is a you know, this kind of diet, you know, that we're looking at it as building a great fitness app for trainers 
and for other health professionals because we're getting into uh, functionality for other professionals that blend well with trainers. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And you know that because you've worked with apps and you've probably seen everything that's come out. And there's just nothing that's ever come out that's awesome yet. And that's because it's really, really hard because you can't have one feature. You have to have, you know, cardio. You have to have weights. You have to have nutrition. You have to have great communication. You have to have reminders. So what I like about this industry is – that I wanted to go into an industry and work on a product where I thought of it as a technology marathon. Because, yeah. you know, I think that if it's a technology marathon, you're ready you know, for that mindset. We're going to outrun you eventually if we're competing, you know. Um, and that, like, for us, it's not about one idea, it's about listening to all the different ideas that everyone who uh, interacts with us, tells us about, you know, we should add this functionality or that. And being the athletes that can just get things done quickly and build fast and think about it as a race. And, you know, one of my favorite things to say uh, on this topic is because I really felt it was I wish that there was an Olympic event for software development teams because yeah. I'd want to be competing for the gold for, for the U.S. But uh, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen anytime <laughs> soon. Well, I think you, you just really painted a cool picture for the listeners of not only who you are, but what your company is and what you guys are doing and your mission. And, you know, I picked up on all of that when we first mm-hmm. met. And one other thing I picked up on was like you just spoke about speed and getting things back and taking feedback. And I've talked with a lot of um, entrepreneurs on this mm-hmm. podcast and I've talked to people who have products and they always say, and and even fam- famous entrepreneurs and founders of, of things like Mac and uh, Apple and the things we're using every day, we'll say fail fast, get feedback, put it out there and adapt as you go. And we were sitting in the meeting and Billy had said, well, it would be cool if you had this. And he said, oh, so I built that last night. And I just <laughs> thought that's so awesome because that's almost even like a sport in and of itself where if your coach says, hey, take your stance wider. Yeah. You got to you know, take your stance wider. I mean, I love that attitude and it really works well with trainers because they understand that competitive mindset, but that's how we think. You know, I heard that, you know, Billy had this idea of how we could make uploading easier. So since I knew I was meeting him the next day, I just, you know, had that mindset like, can I actually build that myself within an hour or two? And and I could. And um, that's, you know, the mindset that we all try to have. And so I think we've got a great concentrated team. Uh, We build technology fast and we listen to the feedback and we're making it better. And and we love just doing that work. We love the programming. We enjoy it. And so that's the foundation of everything. And then our actual product is really just based on the ideas that come about from interacting with the trainers, getting their feedback, you know. So um, I would never want to think that I have the best ideas mm. for, you know, how a trainer should be working, you know. Yeah. So I just want to hear what they say and, and then build it fast. And then so what do they say about what it is then, you know. Mm. And so that's kind of our approach. I love it. And So before I have so many questions, I want to talk about your team and your other developers aside from yourself. I want to talk about the nature of the industry like that you're in with apps for fitness. I mean, I've been associated with some myself and there's, they're like you said, no one's done it perfectly yet. And it's 
it's just uber competitive. But before we go there, let's take a second to tell the listeners what exactly Train With Me offers and maybe start with kind of the first iteration and what you guys came out with and then where it is now. Okay. Well, you know, when we first started Train With Me, uh, I'm friends, we've been friends for a long time with Colin Comey. He runs the gym, the Devonshire, it's called the Sky Club. And so I had done a company that was in the country club industry. There's a lot of parallels between country clubs or in, uh, the fitness centers doing mm-hmm. reservations and things. So I, I talked with Colin and I said, uh, you know, it seems like with apps, when phones getting as good as they are today, that finally there can be a product that can work for trainers. Because we had talked about it, you know, five, 10 years earlier, or not 10, more like five, let's say. <laughs> so I think that the problem, you know, let's say 10 years ago, seven years ago, until the last few years was that you couldn't really build anything that advanced for just a phone and trainers are too on the move to work with only a computer. So we discussed, well, what should we do? So he was very excited about starting with the workout piece because we had seen, you know, you can go back to like Jane Fonda, you know, in the in the yeah. fitness TV videos. And it's like, this is a concept that worked. It's been going for years. Yeah. yeah. And so coming back to that idea of like what's worked in the past but what's ready to be reinvented mm-hmm. from your original quote, which I sort of botched. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> but, but, uh, but coming back to that, I thought, well, the Jane Fonda videos, that proves it. I remember uh, my, you know, I don't know, maybe my sisters had those or I feel like I saw them growing up. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, now every trainer can create their own version of that. And mm-hmm. this is something that has been proven. So we started with that and we made a dynamic, uh, you know, app where trainers could upload videos, uh, do audio cues, uh, and create their own workouts and send them to clients. And, uh, and we've evolved it. So now you can do so many things. It's almost like take Instagram or Twitter, but a private version of Instagram or Twitter for your clients. Mm-hmm. So you can have it, their feed, their timeline, you can send them workouts into it. It's collecting data from their watches about, you know, how many calories it burn. They can see all of that in their timeline. You can put motivational videos in, you can send audio uh, messages, you can put links to anything online, including scheduling or so it's really turned into like a, a a sort of social way for trainers and clients to communicate. And and it has workouts and exercise library and programs. You can create 30, 60 day programs, whatever you want and just schedule, you know, all these things out. So that's what it is in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And in the last couple of months like we've kind of we even have a a healthcare company that's using our platform for for things you know it's a a confidential deal so i won't go into it too Mm. much but it it showed me wow what we've built it's appealing Mm. to a much broader audience um and it's it's pretty neat just that's kind of what it is uh that's amazing and i think one thing that sounds unique about it is, well, one, as I'm someone who's going through building my, not personally, but paying someone to build a website for me. Yeah. 
that's not an easy thing to do. But when you even just showed me the recent iteration on your phone of what the app looks like, it looks like a personal website. So you're essentially handing trainers a place where they can put all their stuff and their workout videos and their programs and all these things. And I don't know how many trainers are listening at the moment, but we're not that good with tech and not many of us. I shouldn't speak for all of us, but I couldn't build that on my own. But the other part of it is it has to be user-friendly and intuitive for someone to say, you know what? It is going to be cost-effective and time-effective for me to open this app and go to my gym with mm-hmm. someone I trust. Like, for, like I'm going to go or do work out with Billy on this app because I know Billy. I like Billy. Billy's great, but I don't want to go travel to see him right now. And so I think that there's definitely something to the app. And it sounds like you guys have really blended in all of the things, you know, some apps like, um, for instance, I work with move with that's audio fitness Mm -hmm. and it's my voice in my coaching, but you can't see me. Right. So it's a totally, it's a different offering, but it sounds like you guys have something that's again, very functional and that could blend in with someone's life. And so, um, I guess one of the hurdles I would think of is cause I've dealt with this with, uh, training people online. Mm -hmm. How do you convince or how are your trainers convincing people to work with them on that um, on online? Because a lot of people say, well, I'd rather just see you. And I have found that it's a lot of highly motivated individuals. Would you agree? What has been kind of the feedback with the actual avatar that's, you know, adapting to the app? I think that's a good question, and uh, I, you know, I, it's. I don't think there's just one answer to that. I think it's a, just about making the app better and making the trainers uh, even understand how to use it better. Mm. And so, for example, I work out with uh, you know Colin Comey and Jason Joyce in the app, and one simple surprising thing just changed my experience with Jason. Which there was a capability in the app that we didn't even realize how big it was. And it's that Jason just started sending me audio messages every day, just a 30-second message that says, hey, Evan, hope you're having a good day. Try to get in this workout today because we're going to do this tomorrow and also don't have any Coke for today. And when he says that to me in that audio message, and I know I'm going to see him and talk to him, and I do in-person training too. We don't think that you should stop in-person training just because there's an app. We just think you, that on your off days where you're not doing in-person training, you should know what to do. Mm. So with that, it makes me do the workouts. And and then once Jason saw how good that functionality was for me, I think it opened his mind to doing that with more clients. And so it's just like each little thing that makes the app better and the app's tracking your data in a user-friendly way for, you know, if you hook it up for heart rate or things like that, just make it easier, more fun. And, um, you know, I think there are certain clientele that uh, really take to the app more easily than others. And so, for example, we actually had a lot of success with older people because older people don't necessarily want to go to the gym, but they don't want to die. You know, they want to like do something. And so it makes it really easy for, for them. And uh, like, I, I remember seeing early on uh, a client, one of Jason's clients at the gym and 
he was doing bench press and our app didn't really work well for bench press because everything was timed, you know? So we realized, oh, that's a issue. We've now made it so that you can do workouts in a more checklist like way. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, it's about figuring out which customers are the right ones for what we have right now and then how to just expand on making it better. Um, Because it's, this is a complicated problem because you can't focus a hundred percent on, uh, you know, exactly the perfect clients because you're focusing on the trainer and the trainer has a bunch of clients and you want the app to be relevant to all of them. Yeah. So, you know, it is, this Very is, complex. yeah. It's, and that's why it's a technology marathon. Ooh, love that. And so when you think about, you know, you have this, this really deep background in coding and this understanding and skill set to build something overnight, literally, if you needed to, to add or change to the app. But what about your team and how have you navigated, um, you know, running a company where you were kind of the visionary and, you know, you're the founder, but you're also one of the people who has the deepest background in in actually hands-on work? Well, you know, I think that one of the ways that that's worked is that we're approaching the way we develop the software a hundred percent differently than everybody else today. So we're using technologies that I've been developing for a long time. And uh, I think that most programmers, you know, or teams, what they do is they look at the most adopted platform in the world. They're like, oh, well, I can't use that platform because there's only 4 million users on it. This platform has, you know, a hundred million users. So we have to use that. So because we have the confidence in our ability to execute on technology, we just can throw out all of the conventional wisdom about how to do everything and build things in a way where we're getting much more done per person. Um, So I, I think, you know, and we have a smaller team and actually having a smaller team is a great benefit because uh, when I worked at a big company early in my career, I realized that every interpersonal relationship, there's just a lot of information lost in translation. Mm-hmm. So when, when people are talking, so if you have 10 developers and they're all discussing very abstract concepts, you know, nothing's going to get done very quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you can make the team small and make each person like a superpower, then, you know, the ideas are concentrated. Everyone pretty much understands everything. And, and that's what we have, you know? So I think the way that we've built our company um, is to try to avoid wasting time on anything that's not building product Mm -hmm. or understanding from the trainers and users, what's going to make the product better. So, you know, you, you mentioned like, Oh, well, you're the CEO. How do you do all this? Well, First of all, uh, I do have some great co-founders and where we all have similar perspectives. So we don't, for example, we didn't waste very much time raising money. I think that a lot of startups uh, spend like half of their time, if not more, raising money. We were lucky. We were able to get it going quickly. And we also now, I'm really happy to say our cash flow positive. Congratulations. Like zero, like let's say much less stress on us. So that we don't have to be looking out to raise money. We can just focus on what we want to focus on, which is product, making it better, and looking at how people are using it. 
and save a lot of time by not, you know, having to, uh, you know, spend time on fundraising mm-hmm. or even selling because our trend, like we say, if our product is not good enough to spread, you know, from trainer to trainer, mm-hmm. then we're going to keep working on the product, you know, so yeah. we just really simplify it. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. If you didn't know, I am the CEO, founder, and head coach at Crossroads of Fitness, and our claim to fame is the Dare to Eat Fat Loss Program. I wanted to let you know that we are actively taking on new clients. I have two other lead coaches right now, and if you are interested in losing 6 to 12 pounds in 12 weeks, we want to work with you. We teach what is scientifically proven to be the sustainable rate of fat loss. And you can check out the links in the show notes that will take you to our program offerings on our website. You can always email me or DM me on Instagram. I am happy to enroll you as a new client. I would love to work with you. If you have any questions, let me know and dare to eat. The trainer in me is thankful for all of this because I always wanted to reach more people. When I left my beloved city of Chicago to come here, the first thing I thought was I have to get online and have a blog because I want to connect with the people that I was teaching at 5 a.m. in the morning and the people who were asking me for nutrition tips and all these things. So I so appreciate that. And then the entrepreneur in me is just... I have so so many questions, but you mentioned you had worked with another company with reservations. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of goes back to the thought I had earlier. And I'm wondering when you think about your business Mm -hmm. and or just being an entrepreneur and you think about tech, was it a very intense passion for tech that drove you to create something that ultimately made you money at your first company or were you kind of equally motivated and excited about starting a company, having a business, and the tech was just a, a vehicle to get there? Like, what was it that kind of, um, I don't know, inspired you to just continually take action? Uh, you know, I feel like I always wanted to try to do something big and have a big impact. So I would say that, you know, I was always looking on how I could step things up. And mm-hmm. I'd say, unlike many entrepreneurs, I started my career by working at a big company and, you know, I did well there. I, you know, kept getting raises and everything, but I also just was very frustrated when, you know, there'd be like a month period at a time where they'd just be like, oh, we haven't got the plan yet. So just, there's nothing to work on. Or uh, you build something like, let's say there's teams that built, you know, spent a year building something. And then they're like, oh, management decided not to use that product or whatever it is. And so, so it felt like there was such a big distance between me as a software developer and actually having any impact on anybody that would be using it or understanding what's happening with it in the real world and just the politics of it. So I just thought I definitely want to start my own company and, uh, you know, that'll be an adventure. And uh, the technology really just gave me the confidence that, that I had some edge where I could do something. Whereas like, you know, someone else might be, you know, such a smooth talker that they can be amazing at selling or whatever it is. I knew for me, um, I can build software. I worked at a big company that paid me to build some of their most important products. 
So if that's the case, what if I created products for my own company? Why not? You know, when did that start? Was that before business school, after business school? I would say that uh, I started thinking that before business school. And, you know, I was a very technical developer. I don't want to say nerdy because I never... I try not to look like a nerd, but maybe I really am. But, you know, I knew, okay, I've got the technology down business. What does that mean? You know, I need to, I need to get out of this coding world and get some idea of how to start a company or talk to people that are business people, whatever that is or means, you know? And so that I just thought if I, go to business school. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, for some reason, I always wanted to go to MIT Sloan. Even when I was at undergrad, I was like, I went to undergrad at University of Pennsylvania. Are you from there? I'm from Atlanta originally. But so I went to undergrad at University of Pennsylvania and they had the number one business school, which is Wharton. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember one year, uh, like somehow MIT was ranked number one on the rankings when I was a student there. Uh-huh. So all the Warren kids were like, what? <laughs> this, is, this is messed up, you know? That's and I was like, whoa, I probably should have thought of going to MIT or applying to yeah. MIT, but I thought, wow, MIT's even kind of beating everybody out in business. And I love technology. That's where I want to go. So cool. I went there basically to help me figure out how to reorient my career and, and how to old be, were you, if you don't uh, mind me asking? I was 27. Cool. Yeah. So. That's a big leap. I mean, that is a, just leaving a big company is a big risk that I think a lot of people, even people probably listening, is it's kind of scary. Well, I guess. I mean, I remember um, in one of the lectures I was at with this entrepreneurship professor, he said something like, uh, you know, if you work at a big company, you either work till you die where you work till well, I can't remember, but it, it was it was a great quote, and it was something like, "You work till you die, or till you retire." And sometimes it's hard to tell which happens first. Ooh, Some yeah. I forget. It I was better than that. that. It was fact. better than that. But yeah. you know, it was kind of like, well, what's the point of mm-hmm. you know, kind of having this boring humdrum life Aside where from you maybe know, a consistent paycheck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, well, I guess that's true, and you know, uh, and yeah. you know, maybe you can do a lot better than that if you leave. Because uh, I don't know how well. I, I mean, the people that continue to work there, they're doing well compared to the average American, I'm sure. But yeah. you know, they may have been able to do more and enjoy life more if they. Yeah. Who knows? I don't. I yeah. don't want to say anything because I actually. I thought it was a great company where I worked. And yeah, well, no, so, it's, it's just yeah. a matter of um, there's, I think, some people, and I guess it's just the, the crux of the entrepreneurial spirit. It's like a yeah. hunger to create and to do more. And like you were saying, you just really wanted to have an impact on the end user and not be a part of like a long line of things. And and I think that that's really admirable. And I, I have very similar kind of spirit, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so when you, really quick, before I forget, when you mentioned creating and working on these own things for yourself, and you said, I'm a software builder, what if I just did that for myself? Yeah. You had also mentioned that you're working on a couple of patented things. Did you just kind of start once you left MIT or maybe during your time creating something that was different than anyone else has, has done? And is that the thing you're still working on? And if so, do you have to train your new employees on this thing that you've that maybe they've never even seen before? Pretty much. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. So 
Actually, so I worked at this company, SAP, and a lot of people wouldn't have heard of it, but it's one of the biggest software companies in the world. They provide software to businesses. So if you're at the airport, you'll always see the SAP advertisements. And so I kind of felt like I had this feeling when I went to business school that it's I loved coding and it's time for a a new life. So I'm going to have to give up coding because I'm going to become a businessman now. (laughs) And it was just this, I was just like, this is so backwards that I'm thinking this, but I said to myself, I'm going to do one last coding project. (laughs) And I thought this is going to be the platform that my company SAP should have had because they had a platform that made it faster, easier to build software applications. And their whole business was selling applications that were built on that platform. And so um, I had a very inside view of what that platform looked like. So I just thought, you know, that platform wasn't that great. I could build something better. And so that's what I started on. And uh, I basically was always careful with the businesses that I've done to retain ownership of that intellectual property. Um, And, you know, we've continued to build on it. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's really amazing technology you're cutting out the middleman right and like kind of a sense because yeah. you would have to would you in theory you'd have to pay or purchase the platform or would it be free to use if you're using another type of platform you know if you use another type of platform some of them cost money some of them don't they all have their advantages they all have mm-hmm. their disadvantages but this was kind of uh my bet uh was you know the way that software development has evolved is not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not anywhere near where it should be. And that, like, actually, when you look at software today, you might think, oh, it's amazing because, you know, we can do video calls on our phones and all that. But uh, you can also look at it from the other side and say, software is still really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Like, you're a trainer, you know, you know that, like, until train with me, uh, yeah. I'm just kidding, being biased, but there's never been any good software for trainers. There's like when you think about the biggest, most popular applications, let's take WhatsApp. That's a great app. They've done amazing. That's sending text messages, you know, that's all it is, text. So, so like, and it's simple and simple is good. Um, but like the state of software, I mean, it's just, it's changing so much. It, there's so, it could be so much better, you know, like my DVR crashes all the time. Just things in 2019 still don't work well. Mm-hmm. They're still not easy to figure out how to use software and technology. Yeah. And so I think that it's just evolving and we think, you know, we're going to do things in a different way that is better. And that's just a bet that we make. I think that's an exciting bet to make and a really bizarre parallel. My uh, grandfather used to always, um, he would not open a business until he could own the real estate underneath it because he controlled that piece of it, you know? And when you control real estate or in your case, intellectual property, I mean, that's so valuable. Yeah, I mean- There's longevity in that. Yeah, I I think of a good way to explain this to a non-technical person is that building technology products, it's like building a house of cards, you know, you can build a feature, but then if you don't build it well, then the next feature you build will be very hard to create because, you know, so you have to, it's like building a house of cards. You have to have a very solid foundation and every single thing you add has to keep it solid or else the whole thing will fall apart. Mm. Um, And so... 
I feel like our technology approach, we have, you know, a very solid foundation that we're building upon and we all enjoy it and we love it and we have fun knowing that what we're doing is different. We have a different approach, which makes us faster and we don't need to prove to anyone that it makes us faster from a, from a developer standpoint, because other developers would look at what we do and say, Whoa, that's kind of crazy. And Mm -hmm. I get it because in my first job, I remember one of the things that was patented when the other developers saw it, half of them were like, that's awesome. And the other half was like, that is wrong. That is just the wrong way to build Mm -hmm. something. And, uh, then the you know the manager's like, hey, uh, we'd like to patent this, Evan. Can you help us put that together? So, you know, the engineers hated. Some of them hated that approach. So we have an approach that you know some engineers would hate and some engineers would love, and um, it makes it easier for us to build a taller house of cards without making it without it toppling. Yeah, that's that's a really good analogy and exciting thing. It seems like you there's a very big degree of self trust and um, also gambling at the same time because you're betting on yourself, which is yeah. I think pretty awesome. Um, I'm curious to know about fitness in your life. Is that something that you think helps you maintain you know the ability to balance all the things that you're balancing right now? And it was that the impetus for train with me was it something that happened to you personally with fitness Um, it was it was yeah it's it's interesting because you know when i was uh growing up i was much let's say much more interested in playing sports and thinking about Mm -hmm. fitness but it was the same you know because i was i loved baseball and i loved tennis and i played you know tennis on the high school team got very into it and so you know i'm running and exercising but i never was organized about going to work out at the gym. So I didn't really know the details. All this fitness stuff is very Mm -hmm. counterintuitive to me. So I, I, you know, I just never learned about fitness and I intuitively had all the wrong ideas, Mm -hmm. you know? So I remember once when I was in college and I, you know, I felt like I put on the sophomore 15 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, the best way for me to to lose weight and get in shape is I'm going to go to the gym and work out for an hour and I'm just going to eat cereal, you know, (laughs) or whatever. And, you know, uh, now I understand why that, you know, it actually seemed like it worked okay, but I understand why that's not as good as, you know, having more calories that are chicken, protein, whatever. But like, you know, my, my intuition on fitness, and I think many people's intuition is just very counterintuitive. Um, And so I ended up injuring myself because of my um, terrible intuition for fitness. Oh, no. uh, so when I would play tennis, if I got tired and my arms were loose, I'd notice how I could just hit the ball harder. So just like I felt like in sports, whenever I loosen up, I somehow gain more power. And so I was, you know, had was at the gym for the first time in like over a year, and I was really tired. And I thought, let me see if I can apply this sports technique yeah. and see what happens. What the hell? And, yeah. and it's kind of like mind over matter, you know, and, uh, I ended up injuring myself, mm-hmm. um, having to have surgery. The surgery went wrong. It went badly. Mm-hmm. I had to have another surgery 
to fix that surgery. And, you know, at the end of it, uh, I had physical therapy. And so I didn't feel anywhere close to being able to go work out normally. But they said, you're that's your last session. You're done. You know, just go work out normally. And I knew if I go to the gym and work out the way that I used to work out, I'll be right back in the hospital. And so uh, so I asked the doctors, uh, can you recommend a personal trainer that could just bridge where I stop with physical therapy and get me to being able to do 10 push-ups. So I could do zero push-ups at that point in time. And the doctors were just like, well, we can't recommend a personal trainer. And I think there's some legal reason why hmm. I asked a physical therapist in my last session. He's like, he was like, Evan, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but you know, we just can't recommend for you to do any kind of exercise because if you get injured, that's our fault, you know. So, mm-hmm. here's your PT program, but I'm not going to tell you to do curls. But if you want, you can do curls. But oh, that's just – so frustrating. And, and so, so, I just realized, you know, my lack of knowledge uh, caused me to get injured. And then I looked, uh, you know, around. nowhere to go after Nowhere that. to go. And then I was, I, I actually, you know, next I thought about my parents who are both about 70. And uh, I thought, well, they need some fitness help. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not really that excited about going to uh, a personal training session that's an hour long. Yeah. But they would be excited, you know, possibly to get the professional guidance for quick sessions, you they know, can do on their own. Yeah, and you know that like uh, it's a huge difference for some someone who's seventy to do like ten minutes, you know, five days a week versus nothing, you know. Yeah. So I started thinking that personal training really didn't capture uh, a huge portion of the market uh, that really needs to help the most, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I did personal training, it was, you know, when I was young trying to get ripped, you know? And I think yeah. that's, but the people that really need it are the use cases that don't fit the traditional model for personal training. Mm-hmm. And so that's what made me think we need to tackle this problem. And I uh, got the band together, you know, <laughs> called Colin, said, what do yeah. you think? You know, one of my co-founders is Michael Bressler, a college roommate who he actually was in finance for 15 years. Wow. So he was kind of, you know, ready to leave that sort of lifestyle. And I was like, let's start a company. And cool. and Rita Lee, who I've been working with for my whole career, she's always been designing all the different applications that my teams have built. So, you know, we started working on it because we saw a real problem. Yeah. It's um, interesting you say that about personal training because I got into it briefly. I mean, not that briefly, I guess, for four years of it. Um, but I always did it independently. And partly yeah. because from a trainer standpoint, the industry is a little bit or maybe a lot of it broken because you're working um, hourly, mm-hmm. right? And you're if you can get into a job that let's just pretend for maybe namesake that listeners will maybe know the brand and just, again, just for maybe one people, let's pretend that Equinox is the place where you could be paid the highest for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Even if you get there and you get to be charging the highest number for personal training and you can get clients, assuming you can get as many as you want, you're still obligated to the hours, however many hours you can physically do in a week. And 
it's hard on the trainer and it's not that scalable. It's and not fair. It's That's not my fair. opinion. You well, know, thank you. I'm not, a, I'm not a trainer, but from my perspective, I love this industry because I feel that trainers are just, uh, they're amazing. They almost all have positive vibes. They, they're very disciplined to stay in shape and they're making a huge impact on their clients' lives. And from my perspective, you know, my trainers have helped me a lot more than my doctors or physical therapists. Yet I know doctors make a lot of money. I know doctors that uh, found out how much money they made. And it's not, it's like they're making over half a million dollars in salary in many cases. And so then I think about, well, Personal trainers, the personal trainer, night. yeah, they're back at four thirty the next day, and and they're, they're they're changing lives in a deeper way that I can't say. It seems to me as impactful, maybe even more impactful than many doctors. But yet, the average salary for personal trainers in the United States, like I've seen different numbers, mm-hmm. but it seems like the average is somewhere between like thirty and fifty. And I saw a number yeah. that. Only 10% of trainers make above 80, something like that. And then from knowing some great trainers, I see that in order for them to make a six-figure salary, Mm -hmm. they have to be working really, really hard. Yeah, Uh, It looks very tiring and it just – it actually seems like a problem – in the world to me, you know, like yeah, that, that it it's just not fair. And so well, that's part of what we were hoping to make better. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we have. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head in the sense that like I, what we were both saying is you only have so many hours in a week, yeah. but a lot of trainers did, don't realize and that I kind of was lucky to realize things to a friend is that your time is spent better if you're doing a portion of in-person training and a large portion of online training because your one hour can be spent affecting the lives of as many people as you decide you want to reach if you have the right systems in place. I was able to start a, you know, a way to work with people online mm-hmm. where I had systems and I could coach, you know, tons of people, um, not in an organized way like an app, mainly just mm-hmm. with email. It was nutrition, but um it's possible to make six figures, but again, you're up at 5 a.m., you're doing emails, you're working at multiple, maybe for, in my case, group fitness places, and yeah. on online has to be a portion of it. And I think there's just going back to the market not being captured for actual clients, there's mm-hmm. also a market of trainers that don't realize that they can do that. And a lot of it comes down to them not knowing about, you know, an app like this. So I'm happy that we can even yeah. talk about it because you have a so you really do have a solution well, for people. Um, thank you, thank you. And we're always working on it and trying to make it better. And you know, in my mind, like one of the numbers I've thrown out in conversations with trainers is like our goal is to help trainers, you know, make two hundred thousand a year a good trainer. Obviously that's aspirational, but mm-hmm. two thousand eighteen was our first product year. And our top trainer did over 30000 in revenue on the platform, Incredible. which, you know, I was like, well, that's a pretty good start. And mm-hmm. all the trainers that started at the beginning of that year, which was, a small, it was our beginning, so it wasn't yeah. a huge number of trainers, but they all ended up doing uh, five-figure numbers, you know. Um, and And so, we're really 
excited about how well this is actually really having a huge impact on their revenue mm-hmm. um, the other thing it did is that because they had these clients in the app they had better retention they're booking more in-person sessions so that, so by using the app they can generate money in the app but they're also keeping their clients closer and end Very up having point. yeah so it, so we're really happy and it, and I feel like it was somewhat of our strategy uh, you know uh, earlier all the like pretty much everyone on my team was in some way involved with my first company which was software for country clubs and we created reservation software and we saw that when a country club put the reservation system in the revenue usually doubled for those reservations it was just that simple if you you know make it easy for someone to book online the revenue will double versus before that they were all mm-hmm. calling on the phone. So we're trying to look for, you know, these similar gains where we can double a trainer's revenue. And I think that uh, I feel pretty good about what we've accomplished. And, and uh, I do hope that this year, hopefully we can have someone who hits, you know, the 200 mark on overall compensation, which I think is actually possible when you take – you know, the in-person plus the app. Yeah. I think that's actually it's not too far away from being possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the one hurdle, just speaking from experience on in-person, is having a place to train because as Billy said actually recently, is like, do you know how much rent you have to pay to be a trainer somewhere? Like he framed it that way, obviously, if you're hired by a company yeah. or an employee, but essentially you're there taking a portion. So, you know, I was always lucky that I could find places to train people that didn't require me being an employee. I just had some just random connections to gyms, but it's very possible because you're able to set your own rates on an app and, and be your own boss. And I think that we're living in a time when a lot of people based on just the autonomy we have with to brand ourselves online, we can create our own destinies. And I think we're kind of used to that. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really exciting time. I'd love, I have yeah. two more questions. I don't uh, want to monopolize your time, but who has inspired you along the way? And um, if there's any one person in particular, maybe some advice they gave you. Gosh, that's a really hard question well, for me to any, think of like one I, person or, spot, yeah. no, you, you know what? I, uh, yeah, I, I would say like, you know, uh, I, so I've been inspired by some of the Titans in technology. Like, uh, you know, I always just, I actually grew up just thinking Bill Gates was, you know, the best. And, and so I know a lot of people love Steve Jobs and I think Steve Jobs was incredible, obviously, and Apple's incredible, but you know, I was always thinking about, you know, the way Bill Gates built Microsoft. And so I was looking at these these guys that were running big companies and thinking like, I hope one day I can do something like that. And mm-hmm. like today, I've, I'm super impressed with like how Elon Musk can, you know, start companies that just do world changing things so, so quickly. So uh, I'm inspired by these kind of figures. Uh, and then, you know, I'm also inspired by the people I work with. I think, you know, my co-founders are just all amazing and inspiring and I learn a lot from them. And, and so it's hard to pick out one person, yeah. but my co-founders are great people. It's Colin, Rita, Michael, and we've all known each other for a long time and I respect them immensely, you know. It's neat to be on a team that inspires you to keep going, I can imagine. What advice, my final question, what advice would you give either a young engineer, developer, um, or a young entrepreneur, someone who 
you know, or maybe talk to your younger self when you just started to kind of get that itch to leave your big company, you know? Yeah. I think there's a, a couple of things that stand out. So I, I would say that an important thing for a young entrepreneur to realize, in my opinion, after everything I've experienced, is that they really need to understand how everything is going to line up and work completely on their own, their own vision of it, that you have to, you can't just rely on mentors and experts to fill in the gaps. You know, you have to just really be doing the math on why whatever you're doing is going to work. And that involves not following all the popular trends or advice. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's just a lot of entrepreneurs who kind of go through the motions of what they think startups are supposed to do, you know, and that like focusing on fundraising before you build a prototype can be a killer sort of thing because then, you know, you're not actually building stuff. You're just going and asking people for money. So I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they would say like, maybe try to focus on building something first and just like really knowing where to be confident and do things your own way because there's just so much advice out there. And, you know, there's so many people that seem to have these huge credentials, which, you know, maybe they all do, but their advice or their ideas might not work for your business. So, so hearing like people say, oh, my startup, we just got this guy who did marketing for this company that sold for $4 billion or whatever. So we're, we've got it made. Well, maybe his marketing playbook isn't going to work on your company mm-hmm. if you didn't figure out exactly how it's going to mesh together at a detailed level. And then the other advice I give to everyone I ever meet from MIT, you know, technical founders is listen to your, like, don't be overly logical. Listen to your emotions when you meet people. Because as a technical person, I used to just value the idea of shutting off my emotions, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of thinking, uh, I want to judge everything based on whether it makes sense in the mathematics, etc. And I feel like as a young entrepreneur, especially if you're technical, there's all kinds of people you meet that like make good logical arguments about how you should do things mm-hmm. or why you should listen to what they say, etc. But if you shut out your emotions and you don't like really evaluate when you look in their eyes, this is a good person, this person trying to help that, you know, there's just a lot of tough lessons in like dealing with people that may not really have a vested interest in your success or, you know, so basically being confident and independent to make your own choices, you know, and not be too influenced by all the latest trends in the startup world, you know, just really try to form your own full opinion assessment of reality mm-hmm. and work with that. So in our case, an example would be like some people would say our approach on the technology is just like really crazy that we're mm-hmm. not using, you know, the most popular tools in the world. You know, we have, if we didn't, I don't think we would have built such a big product so fast. I think we would lose our technology edge. Mm-hmm. So we have to have our confidence to sort of break the rules or break the trends. And I think young entrepreneurs need to be able to form their own opinions and not just listen to every advisor or mentor that comes along. That just spoke to me on such a deep level because 
there's so much out there, right? Yeah. There's so much out there that you can get access now with social media and things to all the people that that want to spew out information. And when you first started just saying that advice, I started to think, is he going to say, you know, essentially go with your gut and like listen to your own intuition? Because I believe that, but not a lot of people will, will actually admit that. And I, I admire that because in order to do a lot of the things you've done, and I think what a lot of entrepreneurs do is you have a voice inside your head you have to listen to. So Yeah. You just like, I think, for any technical founder entrepreneur, when you meet somebody, you just need to be able to look in their eye and eyes and think, this is a good person. This is someone I want to work with mm. and not just listen to like how they're going to double your sales or give you the, the sort of profile of a successful person you need. You just have to like be able to just look at people. And that's why I love the trainer industry because I just feel like there's so many good people and I was thinking about why is that? And maybe it's because they all feel good because they're healthy mm -hmm. and they're in good shape and they have, you know, positive vibes and you can, uh, I pretty much every trainer I meet, I'm like, this is just a really nice, positive person. And those are the types of people that, you know, I'd like to work with. And I think that, you know, hopefully any entrepreneur can build up a filter for figuring out the right people to work with. That is incredible advice. I'm going to leave everybody with that. And uh, thank you. Right. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to put links to train with me. Okay, and, great. And anything else that you'd like to share, we'll put in the show notes and they'll be able to look you up. All right. Well, uh, thanks for the, the pot. This is fun. So Good. Uh, you killed it. Totally right. killed it. Awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. If you guys are putting up your preach hands and nodding your head yes to things that are said either out of my mouth or out of my interviewees' mouths, and you so, so, so relate, we would absolutely love to see you post about our podcast in your Instagram stories. Please also comment on our Instagram Dare to Move podcast posts. If you do a post in your stories three times and you comment on one of our podcast posts and you give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are using, we will be rewarding one lucky person every month with a $100 gift card to Amazon. Your comments, your feedback, your critiques, and your reviews are so helpful to us. So thank you for those of you who have done them. And please, please, please help us out if you are enjoying our content. It helps us out when you share it with your community and when you tell iTunes that we're doing a great job. So please comment, please share on Instagram in your stories, please comment on our Dare to Move podcast post and we will enter your name into a drawing for a hundred bucks. Easy money, guys. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to connect, you can reach me at Garrett N. Wood on Instagram or the podcast Instagram at Dare to Move Podcast. Imagine that. I hope you have an amazing day. And just so you know, our podcast is where we explore all the productivity hacks, business scaling tools, and unique characteristics and personality traits of entrepreneurs leading the way in the portfolio lifestyle. Get inspired, gain actionable steps, and feel like you're connecting with genuine people who are making an impact 
all by way of careers which they designed. And that being said, if you are someone doing any of the aforementioned, I would love to have you on the show. I obviously explore my network and reach out to the people I know, but I want everyone to have an opportunity. So do not hesitate to reach out and request an interview and let me know if you know somebody who you think would be really exciting for the Dared Move podcast to interview. I hope you have an awesome day and as always, dare to move. Move.